0: Well, good morning. Um, This morning, our reading is from Leviticus, and we're starting at chapter 1. It's the third book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, so nice, easy one to find. Uh, So starting at chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be reading through to verse 17. So Leviticus, chapter 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord... Bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons the priest shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water. And the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. You are to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. You are to cut it into pieces and the priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of them and burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering is a burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off the head and burn it on the altar, its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar, he's to remove the crop and the feathers and throw them down east of the altar where the ashes are, he shall tear it open by the wings, not dividing it completely, and then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is burning on the altar, it is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord.
1: Thanks Robert. Good G'day everyone. Um, when I was sitting there, that was echoing. Is that still echoing or does it sound okay? It's not, not too bad. One of you can take the responsibility to inform the sound guy if that's uh, a problem. Uh, so I went, I'm going to show you some words up on the screen uh, and I want you to tell me, uh, so let's, uh, where are we? Here we go. Anxiety, confidence, fear, complacency, dread and joy. Okay, so think about those six words. And uh, now I want you to imagine you're back in year six at school uh, and you get a note from the school office uh, and the note says the principal would like to see you. Now, what, what I want you to work out is which words would you most identify with, uh, which words best capture how you feel uh, on receiving this note. Uh, I'm sure there's different answers out there. Um, For some of us, it would be joy and confidence uh, as we sort of think, maybe the principal's got an award for me. Uh, For me, it was anxiety, fear and dread. Um, And I, I can remember... Uh, many occasions in sixth class, standing outside the principal's office after receiving one of these messages. And it's like everything moves in slow motion. Uh, they just draw it out as long as possible. And you're standing outside, waiting, waiting. Then you usher into the principal's room. And again, it's all in sl- He just draws it out. And then he pulls open his drawer, pulls out the cane, gives a bit of a... Seven times in sixth class, this one. And then, whack! Wow. Um, so, all right, now, now let me change the scenario, all right? Um, what, about, what about when someone says to you, we need to talk? We need to talk, right? And imagine um, your wife says this to you. Um, or, or, <laughs> um, do, wives, do, do your husband say this to you ever? Or is it just a thing that wives say to husbands? All right, like, anyway, so someone says to you, we need to talk. How, which words express how you feel uh, at that moment? Uh, a fear... <laughs> no, well, is it a feeling of joy? Uh, a sense of oh, what an opportunity to enhance our marriage? Uh, a chance to talk? Uh, this could be good. Uh, for me, when Ruth says that to me, we need to talk, uh, automatically I go into the defensive mode, uh, anxiety and fear are my first responses because we need to talk, feels like it's code for you've done something wrong and you need to deal with it, you need to do something about it and, and uh, the problem is sometimes I have no idea what I've done. Uh, sometimes those words come when I'm feeling most happy about things, uh, and things seem quite, seem you know, cruising along quite well to me. Uh, and so I start retracing my steps, thinking, what, what, what have I done? What have I said that I shouldn't have? Or what, what did I say that I do that I forgot to do? And, and um conversation. Uh, this is coming on and off, is it? Sorry about that. Uh, this upcoming conversation, I'm going to have to face up to something about myself. It's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. And I know for some of you, it, it goes beyond anxiety and fear. Uh, for some of you, it is dread. Uh, and sometimes in, in, a, in an unhealthy relationship, there can be that feeling that maybe this is, the, this is it. Maybe this, this is the last straw. Um, is this the end of our relationship? Now, I know for me, uh, when I think back to all those occasions, it's always been a good thing. Like, it's always been an uncomfortable conversation, and I've not enjoyed it, but it's been good for our marriage, and it's actually strengthened our relationship in the long run, But all the same, that doesn't stop there being that initial instinct of fear and anxiety. All right, well, let me me switch it up a few gears and ask that question about um, God. God says to you, uh, I would like to meet with you. Um, What what feelings, what, what words best express how you feel about that? God says, I would like to meet with you. Now, this is not not merely a hypothetical question. Uh, We know very clearly from God's word that each one of us will appear before God. uh, And he will ask us to give an account for our lives. Uh, That will happen sooner or later. How should you feel on that day? How should you feel about that day? Anxious, confident, fearful, complacent, feeling of dread or joy. Now probably a more important question is how does God want you to feel about that day? Um, What reaction, what emotion does God want you to feel as you approach that day when you will meet with him face to face? Now this morning we hear... Good news. This morning is about good news because we're going to hear how it is possible to approach a meeting with God with confidence and joy. Um, it, 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 it seems almost too good to imagine, but that is the good news of the Bible, that the God of the universe enables us to approach him with confidence and joy. Uh, so I'm going to pray as we come to consider these things. Will you pray with me? Oh, God our Father, Uh, you are the great God, you are our maker, and so often we have treated you with complacency, Uh, we feel a sense of fear and anxiety and even dread uh, as we consider that day when we will stand before you face to face to give an account Father, we pray that we will so listen to your word this morning and hear not only of your holiness but also of your love and your mercy. And we pray that you will enable us to face that day uh, with confidence and joy. Uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I. We're in Leviticus today, and we're starting in this series, uh, but I want to sort of set the scene. Uh, and the Bible begins with those two things, confidence and joy. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, and it is just so good. you know. And uh, I just love the pictures of, you know, you just any fruit, you can just pull it off the vine and you rip it open and it drips down your naked body and and, and no one's worried about it. Uninhibited, joyful, you know, it's just, it's it's great. But then sin enters this good world. You know, there's this tree that God has said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. But Adam and Eve, you know, under the temptation of the, the serpent... They decide that they will chart their own course. They will map out their own destiny in life. They push aside God's command and they take the fruit and they eat it. And the result is fear, anxiety and dread. Uh, Worse than that, the judgment of God comes. We know that when they eat that fruit, death enters the world and they are expelled from the presence of God. Adam and Eve are sent out from the garden and the entrance to the garden is now blocked. There are these cherubim there with flaming swords. You know, cherubim is just like this fierce angel you know, standing there barring access to the Garden of Eden. Now we're only three chapters into the Bible at this point and already we realise what a massive problem sin is for humanity. Uh, sinful humanity cannot live in the presence of the pure and perfect and holy God. And we're only in the third chapter of the Bible. Now, God is a God of mercy and forgiveness and love. And he chooses Abraham. And he chooses Abraham and Abraham's descendants to be his special people. So the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, are God's chosen people. Uh, and as history unfolds, God rescues this people out of Egypt. He brings them to Mount Sinai. And God says, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Out of all the people on earth, you are my special possession. And I want to meet with you. Uh, now, what is their response? This is a, an incredible act of Grace and mercy, God choosing this people out of all the peoples of the earth, and God says, I want to meet with you. What is their response? Anxiety, fear, and dread. And you can't blame them, right? Because they're standing there before this mountain, and the mountain is dark and it's covered in thick dark cloud and there's lightning and fire and thunder and then this voice of god booms and they are petrified Uh, and they say we don't want to meet with god we don't want to go up to the mountain because we can see that god is a holy god and we cannot stand in his presence moses you go up to the mountain and moses goes up to the mountain and while moses is there on the mountain what do they do they do the very thing that God commanded them not to do. They make an idol, a golden calf, and they start bowing down to it as if it was God. And at this point, God is ready to completely destroy the nation. This is what God says to Moses, I'm going to destroy my people. I'm going to destroy Israel because they have made me so angry. And I'll start again with you, Moses. Uh, But Moses pleads on the behalf of the people and God relents from his anger. There are people destroyed, but God relents from his anger. But but he says, you must go out of my presence. God says to the people, and I quote, um, God says, if I were to go with you even for a moment... I might destroy you. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Such is God's anger. Sin deserves death. And God said, uh, sinful humanity cannot live in the presence of the perfect, pure and holy God. But God persists. Uh, And the very next thing that happens, right? so in Exodus chapter 32 and 33, we read about The golden calf and God's anger. The very next thing is these instructions about the tent of meeting. Uh, And there's a sort of uh, uh, an artistic sort of picture of it there. But God gives instructions for this tent of meeting where God will meet with his people. Uh, And there's all these instructions. And as you read the end of Exodus and the tent of meeting, it feels like something of a return to the Garden of Eden. There are so many things about the tent of meeting which evoke or, or just remind you of Eden. So, so uh, the tent of meeting, you enter it from the east, just like, you know, with the Garden of Eden. And there, in, uh, sort of embroidered on the curtains as you enter, are these cherubim, uh, reminding you of the cherubim guarding Uh you know access to the Garden of Eden, and, and there 's so many things, the precious stones and the just it 's like a possibility of returning to paradise once again, uh, this tent of meeting. Can it be possible once more for a sinful humanity to live in the presence of the holy God? But by the end of the book of Exodus we 're left thinking, how is this going to work? How can this possibly work for a sinful people to meet with a holy God and it not end in complete disaster? Now, that is what the book of Leviticus is all about. How can the holy God meet with a sinful people without it ending in complete disaster? Um, And so that's what we're going to spend the next nine or ten weeks looking at. The book of Leviticus, and it will it will serve us so well, right? It will build us up and equip us as God's people. Uh, it will surprise you uh, greatly. But uh, the dominant theme of these, the first 17 chapters of Leviticus is sacrifice. The sacrifices are what God provides for a sinful people to meet with the holy God and not be destroyed. Now, this morning we're focusing just on chapter 1, the first sacrifice, the burnt offering, but before we get into the details, I just want to go over the tent of meeting for you. so there's a picture of the tent of meeting. you'll see that it 's not, it's not really a tent the way we think of a tent it 's more just the walls of a tent, uh, but then inside you have this courtyard where the sacrifices were offered. Um, and uh, just to go into some more detail, you have the altar for the sacrifices where the coals and the fire would burn and, and the sacrifices would be placed. You have the wash basin where all the yucky bits of the sacrifices were cleansed and washed. Uh, and there behind there is the holy place. And we'll find out much more about that when we get to Leviticus 16. Uh, but that is like the place where God dwells amongst his people. And you can't see in there. Right? It's covered in these thick Animal hides, and even once you're in there, there's another barrier to the most holy place, Um, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant and and so on. But uh, we're focusing on this burnt offering, and so what you have in the picture here is a person, you know, just imagine yourself bringing your best bull uh, into uh, the tent of meeting. Uh, And so there you are, the priest meets you as you come into the tent uh, and you go in uh, and Leviticus chapter 1 explains how it all works. So it had to be a bull without blemish. It had to be your best prize bull. This is a costly animal sacrifice. Uh, And God doesn't um, discriminate against poorer people so there are options if you're not as wealthy you can bring a male lamb, or if you're really poor, you can bring a bird uh, as your offering. Um, so you're not, uh, you're not kept from the burnt offering just because of your socioeconomic status, but however rich or poor you are, it is a costly sacrifice. Uh, you bring the animal into the courtyard, and you lay your hands on the animal. You actually press down literally pressed down onto the animal and the idea is uh, my sin, my uncleanness is being transferred onto this animal Uh, this animal, this bull or this lamb represents me and then you take out a knife and you slaughter the animal So you've just made the identification between yourself and the animal and the very next thing you do is you slaughter the animal in recognition that I deserve to die. But this animal is dying in my place. And you drain its blood and then the priest takes the blood and splashes it over the altar to bring cleansing. And then what you do is you skin the bull... And you cut it into pieces, so you can see it 's a long drawn out process it 's very graphic, very like it 's gross in, a, in, a, in our sort of modern way of thinking, but it really brought you face to face with the gravity of your sin uh, and the problem of sin, uh, so you skin the bull, you cut it into pieces, the priests would wash out the you know, the yucky bits, the pooey bits and all that sort of stuff, then the whole bull is placed on the altar and the whole thing is burnt up. Uh, There's a beautiful smell, but you or the priests don't get to eat a thing. All that is left is the ashes, uh, but no food is left. It is burnt up as an aroma pleasing to God. Now, what does it all mean? I've just drawn out three things. I think you could come up with more, um, and certainly welcome to ask me questions about this afterwards if we've got time. But I think the first, the first thing it teaches so graphically is I am a sinner, God is holy, and I deserve to die. God is a sinner, I am holy, I deserve to die. The whole sacrifice is a recognition of those truths that I cannot come into God's presence on my own if I were to try I would be destroyed just like this animal. The second thing it teaches us is that I need a substitute because I can I cannot stand in the presence of God on my own and live. I need a substitute. I need a blameless animal without defect. Uh, and, and there's a sense to which there's a recognition that I am grieved as I bring this animal because I know God deserves my best. Right? God deserves a life of wholehearted devotion, but I have failed to live it. And there's nothing I can do about that But what I do is I bring this animal, in a sense, symbolically representing me, what I should be, and then the animal is slain in my place. Uh, So see verse 4. It will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. And the idea is God's anger towards my sin is turned aside by the sacrifice. Or verse 9. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. An extraordinary thing, isn't it? Me, a sinful person, comes into the presence of God and yet, as I offer this sacrifice, it is pleasing to God. Uh, It is not despicable in God's presence like I would be. And the third thing it teaches is that I cannot afford to be complacent before God. Sin is deadly. Dealing with sin is costly. And the burnt offerings with this constant reminder. Did you know the burnt offerings were offered every morning and every night and during the day? Right? But every morning and every night a burnt offering took place. The fire of the altar was never to go out. It was always burning day day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days. As long as the tent was there, the fire was burning. Um, this was just this constant reminder. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Princess Bride. Um, it's a great movie, but um, there's, there's a guy in the movie, Enigo Montoya, uh, and... He, he has, his life's quest is to avenge the death of his father. And, uh, and he, he keeps rehearsing this line that he will say when he meets the guy who killed his father, he will say, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he just practices that line over and over again. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya you killed my father, prepare to die. Hello, my name, and and on and on and on. Now, the burnt offering is like that, right? This constant reminder, I am a sinner. God is holy, I deserve to die. I am a sinner. God is holy, I deserve to die. And every day, there is that reminder, morning and night, the burnt offerings, the bulls would be brought into the tent of meeting, reminding me. Every day I would smell the aroma in the camp. Every day the fire would be burning day and night. Uh, every time we brought one of those sacrifices and entered the courtyard, I am a sinner, God is holy, I deserve to die. It was such a graphic in-your-face Reminder of those truths. And I want to say, surely, these are lessons we need to learn. Um, I think these are things that we so easily forget. In our casual society, we can be overly casual when we come to think about God. Now, did you know God is meeting with us this morning? Right? The Bible tells us that when we gather in, his, in the name of Jesus, God is in our midst. Um, but none of us have brought a bull. Right? None of us brought your prized bull to sacrifice. Um, how is that possible? Right? It has cost you so little to be here. The most it's cost you is a little bit of petrol and you lost your sleep in. And let's face it, some mornings, that's too big a sacrifice. Where you think, no, I need my sleep more than a meeting with God and his people. Surely one of our great dangers is that we can be overly casual in our relationship with God. And our danger is to take these truths for granted. This is why we need to hear from Leviticus, because it confronts us with these truths in a way that you just can't escape them. Uh, And I've got to say, this has been a massive challenge to me this week, because I know that I can be overly casual in my relationship with God. And this just reminds me no, I am a sinner. God is holy, I need I deserve to die, I need a substitute. I cannot afford to be complacent before God. So how is it that we can approach God without bringing a bull for sacrifice? Well, it is because Jesus is our burnt offering. Uh, and you keep, you keep seeing this expressed so many ways in the New Testament. So I've got a few verses. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, The great thing about Jesus, we don't bring the sacrifice. Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice. So Jesus is both priest and animal, the perfect unblemished animal who is offered in sacrifice and it is a fragrant offering to God or 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect or the most um, significant passage of all in the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 7 to 10 and you really need to l- read the whole thing but let me just pull out a few verses cuz Hebrews chapters 11, 7 to 10 is all about the Old Testament sacrificial system and how it is fulfilled in Jesus But Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, Christ sacrificed himself for our sins once for all when he offered himself. Or Hebrews 9, 28, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Or Hebrews chapter ten, verse ten. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. These are just amazing truths that the sinful people like us can be made holy and clean in the sight of God. So what does it all mean for us? Well, firstly, I am still a sinner. God is still holy and I still deserve to die. None of those things have changed. Those things are all still true and we must never forget that. Secondly... I still need a substitute. You still need a substitute. And not even, not even a prize bull. You know, you, you, you might spend $30,000 on a prize bull, but that cannot be a substitute. Ultimately, it's the body of Jesus offered in my place. That is the only way that God's wrath can be turned aside. His death in my place is this aroma pleasing to God but thirdly I still cannot afford to be complacent before God Um, it is such a problem for us isn't it because it has been made so easy and what I mean by that is we haven't had to bring anything to the table we haven't had to bring our, our best prize bull. Right? Jesus paid it all. And the danger for us is that that can, we can, it can lead to complacency, can't it? Uh, an over, overly casual approach. We haven't had to go through that whole ceremony. We haven't been confronted with the in-your-face nature of our sin and we can just think about it really lightly. Uh, And complacently, but no, these are serious things. Dealing with sin is still as costly as ever. But Jesus took my place, and how great is that? And and in coming weeks, we'll see how one of our responses is to offer a sacrifice of thanks, right? Not to deal with our sin, but just an overflow of our thanks. And and the apostle Paul will say, offer your lives as a living sacrifice in response to what God has done. But that's in coming weeks. Do you have any questions about what we've been looking at this morning? Yes, John. Yeah. So the question is, how frequently would an individual have to make a burnt offering to atone for sin? Um, I'm, I'm having a little difficulty tracking that down exactly. So what happened every morning and every night was the priest would bring a burnt offering. So that wasn't an individual doing it. So that was happening morning and night, every day. There were certain things that, for which you were, had to bring a burnt offering, like at childbirth you would bring a burnt offering, uh, certain types of um, illness or uncleanness. Uh, so we'll read about that in chapters 11 to 15. Um, uh, and uh, ordination, of priests. ordination of priests. Yeah, and and um, as I've been talking to Darren about this this week, and it's it's possible that it was it was an annual sacrifice for people. Um, did you check track down any details on that, Darren? But but what it is, it's it's an expression of because there's offerings for sin right so there 's offerings where I sin and I have to do a sacrifice, but that 's not the burnt offering. The burnt offering seems to be a recognition that my whole life should be devoted to God and it 's not and in a, this offering um, pays the price for a, a a whole life given to God that I have failed to give him yeah so I, so we, we don 't know exactly the details, but perhaps an annual um, family sacrifice. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so John's just asking how the sacrifices work, and we'll try to dig into it a bit more next week, but. The order seems to be, because it picks up later on in chapter 7 and so on, the order seemed to be you offer sacrifices um, for your sin, for specific sin, uh, and that's the guilt offerings and the sin offerings. Uh, Then you'd bring a burnt offering. Then you'd bring a grain offering, which seemed to accompany the burnt offering. And then the fellowship offering. Uh, and, And the fellowship offering was just that sense of overflowing Gee, I'm thankful to God and I want to have a party. So that was the let's tuck into a meal type sacrifice. But it came after all the other sacrifices which dealt with my sin and uncleanness. Yeah. It was a pretty thorough and arduous and costly process. Incredibly. Yeah. Margaret. How did the women get on for these sacrifices? Can I come back to you on that question um, i don't i don 't know the specific answer to that question. Does anyone else know off the top of your heads uh, i'm happy to come back to it next week well, like after yeah, after childbirth yeah so we'll we'll see that one later on yeah so i 'll pick up on that uh, for you next week let me let me draw things to a conclusion at the start. I asked this question right uh, you know. God says to you, I would like to meet with you. And we know, sooner or later, this is going to be the reality. We will stand face to face before God. Now, if any of us was to stand before God on our own, we are right to feel anxious, fearful, and a sense of dread. Uh, And even worse than that, like sheer terror, Those are right responses because for a sinful person to stand on their own before the holy God uh, without a mediator in between, we will be utterly destroyed and consumed. There is no hope for us. Uh, Complacency is funny, isn't it? Because not one of us will be complacent on that day. How many people are complacent in our society about God? There's coming a day when complacency will just go out the window, when it won't even be the thought. All that people will think is, how could I have been so complacent about God? But I just can't believe how... uh, I think our comedians do it more than anything else. They just poke fun at God. uh, And just this, this... treat him as an object of ridicule or scorn or derision, there will be none of that on that day, only fear and anxiety and terrifying dread. But God has provided a burnt offering, a perfect substitute, and it is his own son, Jesus, the pure, the blameless one, the one who lived the life that we should have lived But he dies in our place to pay the price for our life uh, which hasn't been offered in devotion to God. And because of Jesus, we can be confident before God. We can be joyful. Uh, We can actually approach the day of God with confidence and joy, but also fear. I want to add fear because I think that's one of our dangers is we remove fear from the equation. Um, We must never forget that God is holy. He is perfect. He is pure. We must never approach God carelessly. We must drive out complacency before God. It has no place before the holy God. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? Oh God, our Father, uh, we want to confess to you that we are a complacent people. Father, we live amongst a complacent people who treat you so lightly and dismissively and even mockingly. Uh, And our Father... We are sorry that so often those attitudes creep into our own lives and our own thinking, even though we are your people. Our Father, we pray that you will drive out complacency from us. Our Father, you are the holy God, and because of our sin, we cannot stand in your presence And yet in your mercy, you have provided a sacrifice, a burnt offering to take our place, to die for our sin. Oh, Father, we are grieved that it comes at such a high cost, that the cost of our cleansing and our forgiveness, the cost of turning your wrath aside from us was the brutal uh, death of your son the, the ridicule of your son on the cross in our place the pure perfect holy one laying down his life unto death for us oh father we are grieved but we are also so thankful we are thankful for providing this way and so father we pray that we will trust in Jesus uh, that we will recognize him as our burnt offering. Father, we pray that you will remove from us that sense of terror and dread and anxiety in our relationship with you. We know that it is right to fear you because you are the holy God. But also, please give us a, a confidence as we approach you and a joy not because of anything that is in us, but because of your son and his death in our place. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.